Hi, welcome to Timely Issues, the podcast. Uh, thank you, Romilly. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for your time uh, and uh, joining us today uh, for this event. I uh, really appreciate your uh, interest and your participation. I want to give you a, a short summary of what uh, we will be covering today. Uh, we look at uh, what's happening uh, to the health tourism markets and uh, look at both the awareness side and, and the medical side. We also look at how the vaccination is rolling out in various parts of the world and what kind of uh, impacts uh, does that uh, may have uh, that, that would may have on the actual uh, traveling for health and the health interest. And we also look at uh, consumer behavior changes and how we need to pay attention to all those changes should we want to have travelers uh, interested in health uh, services and health options. And uh, we give you um, a summary and a couple of uh, take-home suggestions. Um, I think this is the uh, really the moment when uh, we need to understand where you know the world is. And I personally really like this uh, little joke here, if you wish, as a tribute because uh, we are grumpy. Many of us grumpy from lack of traveling, which is a good thing when you look at from uh, uh, from the future's perspective, and it's not a very good thing when you look at uh, where we are right now in terms of services, in terms of lack of travel, even opportunities, and living in a lockdown for a good part of the world over a year. So what exactly can we do um, apart from being um, devastated or scared or even uh, hopeless, uh, give, uh, talking to many destinations, uh, service providers uh, all around the world, um, these all array of uh, feelings and uh, attitudes uh, we can observe. Uh, today's session, uh, we planned it uh, taking into uh, consideration the very uh, complex mixture of attendees. We have government officials, we have destination managers, we have ministry representatives, we have hotel companies, we have VPs for development, we have uh, medical service providers, we have uh, service providers uh, looking at options in terms of hospitality, we have consultants, um, we have clinicians, we have uh, medical um, professionals or even therapists. So we have a large number of people with a very different uh, uh, background. So we will look at the government side, we look at destination side, we look at service side, we have service design side, and also we want to give you uh, some hopes and really the light end of the tunnel that uh, where we are now really is something that we really have to revisit how things have been and how we are approaching the coming years, even not just months or weeks. So may I be blunt and say that probably we need to forget uh, past reviews because you were fantastic in 2019 and you had great reviews on whichever review site, you may need to forget that because two years on may not be relevant. Uh, the market has changed, your competitors changed, many of them closed or been through major remont or major redevelopment. So the reviews could be a good indic indication but don't count on it much. Sadly, when you need to reestablish business contacts because companies uh, got vanished, uh, people had to leave, or people moved to a different place. So whatever, whatever uh, you may had um, two years ago, or we may have had two years ago, may not be relevant anymore. So we have to reestablish contacts. Accessibility is severely uh, affected, meaning um, you can't get there. Your guests cannot get to you because we don't have uh, we don't have accessibility. Flights cancelled. Most of flights cancelled. International flights are severely impacted. So there is going to be a very different situation. And yes, you might say that as soon as the vaccination is done, and Irving will talk about that, everybody will be traveling and there will be a massive spike. Yes, potentially yes, but that also means that the whole world wants to have the travelers. Everybody at the same time attacking them uh, with messages. So what exactly can we offer? And that takes us to the next point, which is segmentation has changed. Uh, how we define segments, lifestyle segments, um, how the mental stress uh, changed segmentation characteristics. So we have a little bit of homework to do 
uh, in terms of how we redefine and restart our services. Um, just as a light entertainment in the uh, um, in our discussion, may I quote this great example, which is uh, this is where we are. That now we have studies showing that just because you're watching a beaver eating cabbage online, that would de uh, decrease your stress level by 17 percent. Um, doesn't matter if you believe in it or you don't. Um, I actually did watch that beaver and it really um, had its impact. But um, people change their attitude. They are open to unusual options. And I will quote studies uh, that we did together the Wellness Tourism Association, need to give the credit to and Diamond, who, who supported the whole uh, project. And we uh, uh, looked at how the wellness uh, interest is changing in the next couple of years. May I mention, because we have a lot of hospitality persons here, that uh, we need to revisit how we look at uh, healthcare and spa and wellness services and hospitality. And I give you the indication of what we suggest. Because this is how it used to be. It's a satellite. It's nice to have. It's lovely on the side. But um, given the growing interest of the market in anything that's related to physical, mental, uh, psychological, emotional health and balance and harmony, I am uh, selecting my words very, very carefully, not wellness, but balance and harmony, then you may, we may need to revisit of how these domains work together in terms of service delivery and even service design when we create new properties. So we, are, we need to draw a line. We are really between two worlds. Um, I don't think it's a good start if you say that, oh, well, I would like to go back to 2019, my benchmark data is 2019, therefore um, I want to aim to go back there. I think we need to restart. And if you think about it from strategy or a CEO level or C level, C suite level, this is a good moment when you can revisit of how you work and how your strategy uh, really goes. Uh, and um, may I mention the uh, examples that we have in terms of segmentation, which is how the uh, services can be attracting people. We used to have this me too, that I'm joining because it's fashionable. Uh, I'm curious, I'm doing it as a lifestyle or I'm doing as charity. And if you ask me, um, looking at the service developments recently, we really can see that there's a change and there will be charity. People will buy medical as well as wellness services as charity. And we call this as uh, revenge spending, that you are upset, you have been locked down, you couldn't spend money, you couldn't do your favorite thing, couldn't visit your favorite destinations. And basically you spend. The um, uh, market expects re revenge spending spiking as soon as the uh, vaccination uh, on, on the world uh, may permit that. So instantly, they would be very happy to spend money on it. And wellness services and medical services, because many of that may need to may not need to be prescribed. So voluntary medical services, dental, plastic surgery, uh, IVF, uh, you will see a demand for that. Um, Irving is going to talk about those. And at the same time, interestingly, uh, we also have luxury shaming. Luxury when you show off. Luxury shaming, uh, not just flight shaming, but luxury shaming is something that at the time of a global epidemic, economic, social disasters, as we can see in many countries or destinations, showing off and go to a physically luxury, physically uh, uh, luxury looking uh, facility, people may be uh, calling you name at names. So we need to be careful how we define luxury. And that's why I wanted to give you, um, you know, uh, the, the lights uh, and the lighthouse. What options do we have? Um, I would like to call your attention to the study that we did together with uh, the World uh, Tourism Association. And there's a B2B study. And I'm, I really would like to call your attention to really focus on, on these triggers and some others, because we didn't have uh, more time to look into the various other triggers. So I just want to highlight these. Uh, you can't really see awareness here, can you? or controversy health here, can you? But this is what people um, are really thinking about. 
when they're looking for services or buying services. So next time, visit or revisit how you communicate and how you design services at your end and how what your destination is suggesting in terms of trigger points. Because people may look for self-healing, may look for flourishing, may look for uh, distressing or rewarding for the matter. And this is what you need to provide. And yes, we know at the end of the day, they do buy wellness services, for example, but they, uh, they're purchasing wellness services, but they're buying uh, distressing or buying rewarding. Uh, and also we'd like to uh, stress the importance of uh, uh, how luxury has been changing. We have several layers of luxury, um, from uh, everyday luxury to, be to bespoke luxury. And uh, we need to be aware that the term and the meaning of luxury is changing rapidly. Uh, don't forget that uh, the various aspects in a relaxation can now become an ultra high-end luxury, which was an everyday luxury. Now it's moving to ultra high-end because you don't have the chance to do it. So the, the propositioning and the positioning of a service or a destination may totally uh, be different as of now, or even in short term, because of the severe situation in terms of lack of traveling or lack of leisure time. And that gives you options, that gives you opportunities. At the same time, it raises uh, challenges. How you can define your services, how you can position and communicate about your services. Is it luxury? Is it everyday luxury? Is it a bespoke luxury? Is plastic surgery now a bespoke luxury, although it's been every day? You need to revisit of how you uh, used to be doing uh, uh, services and how you define your packaging, how you define your guest journeys, how you define your communication. Just an example, a floating sauna in a natural lake, which is very simple and very easy, looking like this. Would you call it luxury? What kind of luxury would that be? Would it be wellness? Would it not be wellness? Regardless how you call it, the customers, those um, that family or those uh, uh, men and uh, women sitting on there or enjoying it or going around, they may call it as a bespoke, uh, un, uh, never seen experience. And they will say that we felt so much uh, balance, so more balance and so harmony after that. And this is what, let's say, the post-COVID uh, wellness uh, orientation may mean. And have you been to a dry bar? when you pay more money, for example, for non-alcoholic drinks that you would pay in a bar for alcoholic drinks because that's the new thing in. And this is another option. And uh, when you say uh, wellness overtaking alcohol, sobering is the new call. We have so many options here. You can't just rely on, I have a lovely property. I have my lovely spa. I have the international brand. Therefore, everything is going to be cool. I don't think so. It's going to be cool. You may be, uh, you, you might have a good uh, uh, run, but I would really suggest you to revisit and uh, have a whole screening of how your services are defined and how they are uh, offered. Uh, let me give you another little consideration here, which is how you review your resources. These are not wellness resources, these are resources. But you use them or you can use them to create wellness improving services. But however good that sounds, you need, you really need uh, what we call it, a well-being engineers for that. You need professionals who can help you doing that. It's not just the new uh, treatment on the spa menu. It's not just uh, um, a very, it's a new, uh, let's say, smoothie uh, in your FNB proposition. You have to really be very systematic and looking at what's available locally. You can have amazing uh, and simple solutions and cheap, as in developing cheap, but the value propositioning is going to be appreciated by the guests. Is it the new way of doing yoga outdoors or physical exercise outdoors? This is a simple uh, grass field with nothing really on it, but you have the feeling of safety and uh, um, uh, keeping uh, COVID-related uh, regulations in mind, 
uh, you have a lovely backdrop and people have uh, still have some social time together but with safe distance and at the same time with a pleasing uh, environment but this is not as far on the 10th floor overlooking uh, some you know, city or urban area that's a different proposition and you still have options there but you need to be a little bit more careful about how you uh, offer the same treatments and the same packages how it was two years ago. So I really believe that the choice is yours. It's really up to you uh, which direction you're taking. Um, we don't really have much time at the moment, but uh, we can have a discussion should you wish. Uh, you go into the illusion part, which is happening quite prominently when it looks amazing. But when you get there, you recognize it's more for show and less uh, in terms of content. You have an entertainment part when you use, I don't know, goats for yoga or uh, you use other animals for yoga or uh, uh, create some entertainment value through which you can incorporate new guest segments like men for the matter. Or you're an eminent wellness uh, operator, a lifestyle entrepreneur, and you want to create a new brand, a new hotel brand, which is focusing on one or only two components, but you do it really consistently and very structurally. Or you just say, you know what, I wellnessify all my services, room provision, F&B, the retreat, the hospital, the clinic, all of it, but I'm not promoting it as a wellness place. I'm just improving my services, taking the wellness expectations in mind. You have four major directions and the call is yours, but you need to make a call. A little bit of jacuzzi, a little bit of uh, uh, yoga on the side, is not going to be very successful in the near future. So what you have seen so far, the satellites, instead of satellites, we need to have an integration. But to have an integration, the really uh, can't just have a new spa operator coming in. This is not a spa operation. You need to create a different approach how healthcare, wellness, and hospitality uh, talk to each other, overlap, and create a different value propositioning. This global pandemic really gives you the springboard to do it. Either as a new brand or revising your existing brand. A um, couple of, uh, I believe, uh, hospitality attendees at the moment may not want to see this um, because it doesn't look that great. But based on, honestly, global experience, I'm very confidently say that probably you, you need to introduce a W uh, suite, not a, a C suite in your uh, organizational structure. When you really look at your services and your services uh, um, contribution to guests' well-being, because we see terribly underestimated trespass, we can see overspend uh, uh, on CapEx and OPEX, and under, underperforming well-being uh, proposition on the guest side. You really need to revisit how you uh, look at uh, well-being at large. Uh, and it's not just hospitality. This is uh, healthcare as well. Hospitals would need to do that too. Um, so wrapping it up and uh, soon passing, or to, uh, passing this uh, on to Irving, let me just give you this uh, uh, snapshot overview of how services are in uh, Travelling for Health. You have the healthy services, when the services which contribute to the guests' uh, well-being, but there uh, could be any kind of guests. And you have health tourism, either the medical side, uh, which is non-invasive or invasive, or the wellness side, which is a, uh, which is a holistic end or more mainstream wellness. And in the middle, you have the medical wellness. Fantastic. but uh, what you need to bear in mind is uh, when how it used to be, healthy services were, oh, I'm happy to have it. Yeah, sure, fine, um, throw it in, I don't mind, happy to. Medical services, I needed to, most of the, because it was prescribed, your health uh, um, status required it, so you needed to do it. And the wellness was typically, I want to do it. Why? Because I'm holistic, I'm spiritual. I would like to uh, um, enjoy some wellness treatments, packages, and so on. This is lovely. But uh, the opportunity here is that what is changing, that the health services from happy to 
move to want to. This is not the cherry on the cake anymore, especially not in short term. This is going to be uh, when you look at it, uh, look at the market in terms of uh, long-term market development and redefining your propositioning, redefining your services, and re-engaging with your past, present, and future customers. They, you might find that they want to have healthy services. This is not just the happy to, it moves to the want to. But the question is, are you ready to do that? Do you really understand? And um, what I'm saying is, are you really ready? Because I've been mentoring, or the team, we have been mentoring host, uh, uh, hotels, spas, travel agents, tour operators, uh, and we really can see that they're really open to have this approach, but we really need hand-holding to really make it happen and to understand how they can put it into practice. So that strategy level is a W suite, not C suite, and uh, operations level when you um, implement it. So it's a couple of take home messages before I pass it on to Irving. We can see that extreme opposites can become both successful. And uh, we need to re revisit how the define as well as sell wellness. Guests don't need spa, but they want to recharge. So you don't need to spell, uh, sell spa. It's not what the, uh, the important thing is. More like what it does and why is that beneficial. Uh, we really recommend uh, to wellnessify all your operations. And uh, we also know that uh, you can have the international brands as well as the remoteness and the lifestyle entrepreneurs having options here as long as you take into consideration whatever has been discussed. And we also know that uh, uh, specialist advisors, especially in North America or in uh, Australia or even Asia, specialist advisors being trained to sell health-oriented services uh, really can expect a great future in terms of business. And as a last point, don't forget that guests, based on studies, this is not just me talking, but uh, again, this is from the Vanessa Tourism Association's uh, discussions and also the uh, International Medical uh, Travel Journal uh, studies we did together. Uh, guests are open, they understand more, and they're willing to learn more about it. So this is your chance, this is the moment to redefine and rewire your services and you wire uh, the thinking of your guests and re-establish contacts with your business partners as well as your future guests because they really are open and they really would be happy to learn about it. They just would like to know how and what. Uh, I think it's a good uh, summary for this part and uh, I'll pass it on to Irving who is going to talk about the uh, vaccination and how that is impacting traveling for health. Thank you. Thank you, Laszlo. Um, uh, and I want to echo Laszlo's gratitude to all of you who have uh, taken the time to participate. And uh, once again, if you have questions, put them in the chat or in the Q&A function in the, in the uh, GoToWebinar browser. So Laszlo has done a good job of doing a sweeping review of how COVID has disrupted the classic uh, strategic perspective on the health tourism markets. Um, I'm going to look specifically at how and what is driving the recovery in the global markets in general and the health tourism market in particular. The best examples, the best proxies we have for what's happening in the individual health tourism markets are the global metrics, as accurate or as inaccurate as they are. And the specific examples in the health tourism market uh, bring in, as Laszlo was alluding, issues around uh, pent-up demand issues around a sense of well-being, a lack of a sense of well-being, uh, as we've all been wrestling with this extraordinary uh, pandemic. 
So uh, the vaccine's rollout is a specific example of the disruption in the market and is a measure we can look to as to how to predict how these markets will recover. Um, the, we're, we're going to be looking at something like vaccine passports. Uh, several organizations, several countries have played with or are toying with the idea of having a vaccine passport. Uh, I've had my first dose of vaccine, and I'm very proud of my vaccine card. But going beyond that, organizations like IATA, the International uh, Travel Association, is uh, has kited the idea, is putting forth the idea of having a standardized passport that would allow travel. And there's other things going on between and among countries that I'll talk briefly on. The real issue that we run into, the real issue for health tourism and the global travel and tourism markets overall is the uneven nature of the response to the pandemic and the uneven nature of the results of those responses. This is what's really put us in a very difficult position globally and cross-border. The whole purpose of vaccines is to create this concept, is to create herd immunity where there's enough immunity within a population to protect individuals from transmission, from contraction. Um, and predicting herd immunity is complex, but I'm going to walk through a couple of models to that. And what does recovery look like? Is a return to normal really a normal at all? Uh, I think Laszlo said it very well, and I concur that whatever your metric, whatever your benchmark was in 2019, uh, you need to move past that and consider a new model for the future. So this is a complex slide that attempts to lay out the OECD, which is a club of wealthy nations, the, uh, the major developed economies in the world, uh, predict uh, global economic recovery. And according to this, you'll see that um, the standard, the 2019 standard is reached among many economies roughly in September, uh, the end of Q3 2021 this year. And then based on the vaccine projections, uh, it would uh, get even better, say, by March um, of 2022. So these are pretty optimistic projections. And um, while I don't wish to rain on anybody's parade, uh, our clients need for more um, reliable, accurate uh, projections and estimations of future activities. So I'm going to show you how we've done this. Also, OECD is famous for putting forth uh, very optimistic projections. In 2016, they published uh, a research article that actually talked about how the how the Europe and how Europe in particular would recover from uh, a global pandemic, and they predicted a very rapid uh, V-shaped recovery from the pandemic, and we, we know that it's been anything uh, but that. Um, so predicting this herd immunity is an extremely important function of predicting the recovery or the return of the markets. And for individual operators, this is an extremely important uh, planning uh, element. That is to say, how do I know when to bring staff back? How do I know when to reestablish resources that I've put aside, aside for the time being? So this model shows an estimate of the date at which herd immunity is achieved in the United States, UK, and uh, the, the European zone. 
And this model was created as recently as late February. And as you can see here, the U.S. was predicted to reach herd immunity sometime in June. But indeed, this is based on a certain level of vaccination. And so far, the United States has shown the ability to vaccine, to, to administer even more vaccines than was estimated in this particular model currently about 2.4 million a day. In that case, vaccine, the vaccine rollout, the vaccination, will achieve herd immunity still quicker. The European zone is a different story altogether, as we'll see. The European zone, European countries, may not reach herd immunity until March 22, March 2022 or later. And the problem is several fold, but this is a vaccine administration tracker for the United Kingdom, the United States, and the European Union, taken as recently as I think this is as of March 14th. And as you can see, the United Kingdom has achieved quite a high level of doses per unit of population. The United States is catching up very quickly, and the European Union has lagged. And what this means for international travel should be clear to all of us. And the economic importance of vaccination, regardless of what your uh, personal public health or political persuasion is, the economic importance of achieving herd immunity and rolling out vaccinations quickly should be very, very clear. So we watch the standards of vaccination. We watch that carefully as a proxy for when these markets will open back up. And indeed, the markets are also sensitive to the number of cases. So we were talking, I was just talking about vaccinations here we see data uh, from Johns Hopkins about the seven-day uh, rolling average of new cases, and Europe is indeed faced with a third, looks like it's going to be faced with an uptick. It is facing an uptick of cases, and this may indeed represent a third wave, which would have still a greater disruptive effect on cross-border travel, and therefore on health tourism. <clears throat> so this is uh, information about the IATA Travel Pass Initiative. This is an attempt by the International Association of Travel uh, Agencies to create Sorry to interrupt you, Irvine. I cannot hear you right now. Many of our clients are discovering that consumers within their countries or within their regions are now willing to uh, travel within region, within country, to consume services at their location. So that is a strategic opportunity for providers and destinations. Um, this uh, vaccination issue, while impacting that, uh, is less relevant if you're staying within your borders of your country. The critical element to which markets, which types of consumers will access health tourism or health travel services has to do with the acuity level and the types of services being sought. We know that the health tourism markets are not a single market. Uh, Lasso pointed that out very well in one of the slides when he was talking about want to, happy to, need to. So at one level of these markets are high, high volume, low unit value. On the other side are low volume, high unit value. The markets 
on the left, the high volume, low unit value markets, cosmetics, non-invasives, uh, treatments, uh, dental treatments, and the like. And of course, the low volume, high unit value are very often what is thought of when people talk about medical tourism. These are orthopedic procedures, cardiac procedures, and complex cancer treatments. <clears throat> there's certainly a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, there's good clinical evidence of pent-up demand in that uh, diagnostic tests that are being conducted uh, 11, 12 months post-lockdown are showing higher incidence of more advanced illnesses, and this is being pointed to as an excellent, as, as evidence that treatment delays are indeed increasing uh, the acuity of clinical conditions and uh, increasing the demand for, uh, as going back to this model, especially those low volume, high unit value procedures. <clears throat> Health tourism, as we know, is a journey uh, COVID-19 is going to add uh, aspects to issues of trust and uncertainty, uh, and we as providers and destinations are going to need to find a way to address those concerns in order to attract consumers who may be still nervous about their willingness to travel for services. So the strategic options, Laszlo addressed those, new markets, other ways of looking at your service lines, and new source marketplaces. Tactical options, which I've been alluding to, have to do with reducing consumers' fear and demonstrating or showing safety. Historically, in healthcare marketing, uh, we never used to talk about safety. Safety is what is referred to as a Kano quality. That is to say, if it's there, you're in the game. If it's not there, consumers won't even consider you. So it wasn't something that we ever encouraged clients to actively discuss safety. But now it's very clear, since the fear and concern about uh, infection, the fear and concern about the safety uh, of travel, these are issues that we absolutely need to display and show. So for a bit of prediction, uh, crystal ball gazing, uh, we believe that there are two segments, uh, and there's good evidence of this, the two segments that will come back. The first one is the vanity or cosmetic uh, segment. We're seeing now in our, uh, across the globe, across the segments, we're seeing consumers travel for um, augmentations, cosmetic surgery augmentations, as things like hair transplants, um, buttock augmentation, breast augmentation. People are indeed traveling for this. <clears throat> Some of that is driven by the very fact of the lockdown. We're all on Zoom, we're looking at each other, and there are many people thinking, ah, oh, gee, my hair's getting a little thin there. Or, gee, won't I look good with a face tuck, tuck uh, chin tuck? Um, neck procedures are uh, inc of, of increasing interest and will be over the next 12 to 24 months a huge opportunity for cosmetic providers. The other end we're seeing coming is the high acuity end. This is the end of the market, this is the side of the market distribution that is the truly complex care. And as I said before, there's very good evidence coming out of the UK and the US that delay in diagnostic, delay in progressive treatment of certain types of illnesses are, is resulting in higher acuities in those illnesses, more advanced stage of the cardiovascular disease more advanced stage of the cancers. And that is a challenge and, frankly, an opportunity 
four providers in four destinations. These high acuity services are indeed in increasing demand and the Google search activity and other measures clearly show that. So we see two ends of the market coming back first and this is indeed what we see happening. And Laszlo and I talked about this as early as January last year uh, when we conducted our first uh, webinar on this subject. For many providers and for many destinations, the middle part of this marketing distribution has been the most profitable, has been the most important. The orthopedic procedures, knee replacements, hip replacements, the more complex cosmetic procedures. These have been very important service lines for many providers and many destinations. We see those procedures coming back, those service lines reaching recovery levels much later than either end of this market distribution. So the question is, uh, Laszlo alluded to this and very, very interesting subject for me is, uh, what about fear? What about the consumer behavior has changed? When you think about it, as I tried to display in the trust and uncertainty uh, graphic, when you think about it, it takes quite a lot of courage, quite a lot of fortitude, quite a bit of risk tolerance to travel some distance to a destination in order to consume uh, medical services in particular, or even wellness services uh, at a lower acuity level. This fear, this concern, has been stoked by a media frenzy about variants, about reinfection, about contagion. Um, it's very popular in the media now to portray individuals, healthcare providers, social services providers, politicians with masks and personal protective equipment. The net effect of those images in the in the body rhetoric in the public domain, the net effect of that is to remind people that there's a pandemic going on. And to, from a good sense, that reminds people to uh, observe personal hygiene, wash your hands, social distancing, and to use your uh, masks. The downside of that is that it reminds people that they need to be concerned. So we're caught in this uh, communications, uh, cultural uh, ping pong match. But there are segments who seem not to be afraid. So which segments are not afraid and which segments are risk tolerant? Well, it's clear that uh, countries and destinations are attempting to address this by talking about ways to protect the traveling public during the pandemic and during the recovery period from the pandemic. An enormous amount of effort is going into both preparing for and protecting travelers during the summer holiday season. Um, this article is taken from uh, Financial Times. There's also, of course, the students. And as we all know, uh, many, folk, many students, students, individuals of student age, young folk, uh, see themselves as invinci invincible. Uh, and they are indeed traveling, traveling aggressively. And um, Laszlo used the term revenge spending. Destinations do to overcome or counterbalance student uh, counterbalance consumer fear, and what can providers do? Well, I'm going to offer a few more take-home messages. First, there will be, and we're seeing a surge of pent-up demand.
here or it's imminent. The important thing to keep in mind is that while we get ready for it and while we deal with it, pent-up demand is not stabilized business. It surges and then it recedes. Their uneven response between countries and even within countries is delaying recovery. If you're keen to monitor these, uh, these the, the harmony, the harmonization of recovery responses, I would suggest that you look at um, the COVID-19 tracking project and keep an eye on vaccination rates. Certain segments in the market are indeed more risk tolerant than others. And if we're encouraging people to travel, we've got the systems responsible um, programs in place to do that. Uh, we can speak to those more risk tolerant. Some segments are risk averse. We need to continue to show safety, quite a contrast from the from the from before, from 2019 and rearward. And standards. We need to look for proxies for safety certifications, uh, accreditations, etc. So, uh, with that, I will stop, and we can uh, uh, see what questions there might be. Hi. Thank you both for such an informative uh, webinar session. Thank you. And um, so I would like to open up the questions. We have a few questions that have come in so far. And I'd like to start with one that came um, to me via email, if I may. So, um, Laszlo, I think this one is for you first. Do you think innovative ideas for wellness tourism are welcome to help spark interest in this recovery year from the pandemic? My focus oh. in, is on respite tourism for family caregivers. And I welcome any support of this concept from any organization or university and travel tourism bureau and company. Good question. Um, thank you, Bob, the question. <laughs> because I know <laughs> who, who asked the question, at least have a good, have a good guess. So thank you, Bob. Um, I, I, I believe really um, we have been uh, in discussion with Bob for years. And I think now really is the moment when the world recognizes uh, respite travel, as, as you call it, as we call it, is, is such an important um, uh, field and such an overlooked field because quite sadly and quite tragically, so many people now experience or have been experiencing what that actually means. It's not just a remote somewhere some uh, some uh, certain situation happens but it's really happening now in, in very large numbers so it absolutely is the case and the mental fatigue and the um the, the covid impact on mental as well as physical uh, balance and health is going to be overwhelming uh, to a way larger part of the society and the world not just the ones who are personally involved so your question cannot be more more to the point that um, it may, may not be called uh, uh, respite travel because that makes it a very kind of uh, um, siloed. But uh, uh, the, the objective why we would need to pay attention and more attention to all those related issues to uh, respite and respite travel and people who take care of others is absolutely paramount. Uh, how the service providers uh, uh, will respond to that, now that's a different question. Uh, because the most of the time demand would go that yes, you may be stressed, you may be tired, but when you do go through such emotionally, personally, psychologically stressing situation, uh, one um, full body massage may not do the job. Uh, and uh, the Saurabh crystals, uh, chandeliers may not do the job. So we, that really requires a different approach to it. And I think now industry really needs to recognize this is not just a small niche, very important, but a small niche, since um, all across board, all the sort of population, uh, we have people going through such uh, tragic or stressful or uh, uh, really uh, draining situations. So your question cannot be more topical and more timely, Bob. Thank you. Mm. Yes, thanks, Bob. And so thank sorry. you, Leslie, for your answer. Yeah, do you have anything well, to say? I only wanted that? to add that in long-term care, which is a big part of our practice, 
in long-term care, something called respite care is very important because uh, a, a substantial number of people who care for persons with disabilities are their family members or, or close friends, and these folks need a break. And when, when destinations promote, their des promote themselves as an attractive destination, historically one of the assumed benefits to the traveler for that is a break, is uh, rest, relaxation, recovery, uh, and re-energize, uh, take care of yourself, you know, you deserve this. Um, those messages uh, can be not just brought down in the third paragraph, but those messages for certain segments could be brought forward as a way of uh, validating the need for people to take care of themselves and to mitigate the effects of the stress. Yeah, it's, as Laszlo said, it's enormous. Thank you. Thank you both. So we've got time for a couple of more questions. Um, so the next question is, um, Hi, I'd like to mention that one of our problems is to find staff for medical wellness due to lack of staff in Germany. Is there any international staff pool or any idea? Oh, well, uh, it, I think it's going to be an issue um, uh, uh, all over, especially in medical wellness. Don't forget uh, the, the person who asked this question uh, referring to this uh, particular field, which is very country specific. Um, or healthcare specific, since uh, medical wellness is a, is a thing in uh, Germany or Austria or in uh, Slovenia or even in Hungary or certain other countries as a, um, a small thing, but in other countries it may not be registered or may not be uh, even offered as such. The US understanding of medical wellness is a different ballgame, so that, that may not be necessary or may relevant to you. So um, uh, at the same time, where people lose their jobs, uh, they, their international travel options are uh, limited. So you can't just have a pool and have new staff because of various governmental and whatever barriers or limitations. So first of all, I don't know a pool, sadly. I cannot really help you with that. Second, um, what you mean by uh, medical wellness may be a barrier because of uh, the various trainings that people have in other countries and licensing and even certifications may not be uh, appropriate. And third, for the, you can't travel, I mean, <laughs> literally, and you don't quite know when. Uh, so, um, and, and fourth, uh, we do have an issue that medical wellness as such is still up in the air, is still floating around. Uh, some do it rather well, some talk about it, some uh, may not even know about it. So uh, having staff and having a pool, uh, which now you have a pool for spa therapists, uh, because that became such a mainstream, but medical wellness is a very, still is a very niche uh, proposition, and uh, because of different understandings, depending on where you are, makes your life a little bit even more difficult. Sorry, I, I cannot give you a very positive uh, answer at the moment. I'm really sorry about that. Irene, anything to there, in? There are the the companies that are making a lot during the pandemic include. Um, the delivery companies, Amazons of the world, and staffing companies. The staffing companies are having very good years because of the difficulties associated with people becoming ill. Uh, even if people don't, be, even if staff don't become ill, they can't uh, travel or they need to stay home with someone for whom they're caring. Um, so the staffing agencies have done very well. I don't know of a staffing agency serving the German marketplace. And it isn't a solution that's accessible by individual destinations or individual providers. So this is a political issue that could and should be brought to a governmental macro level. How can we solve this staffing issue? There are millions of people out of work, and among those millions of people, there are probably individuals 
who would qualify by psychological physical characteristics as being good prospects for employees in the sector. That's the kind of solution that needs to be brought forward now so that the, during the recovery, there is the workforce to handle the demand. Thank you, Irving. <clears throat> so we have a next question is, so I'll try to pronounce this properly. Does wellness, the wellnessification apply to invasive medical care? And if so, is there any example of how that happens? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, this is really, this is the trick because you know every every hospital or, or healthcare professional knows uh, how to deliver a certain protocol uh, delivering a invasive uh, treatment but uh, especially when you go to a different country a different language different culture you have an added uh, uh, concerns not just covid related but cultural language food distance um, everything uh, so how to improve that given service and how to improve the uh, the comfort or the happiness of that patient, uh, because that would be a patient in that case. This is where you need to have this ramification thing. And no, I cannot really give you a long list of excellent examples, because healthcare professionals, and sorry, I don't want to really be uh, um, disrespectful, but I will be, uh, they're not necessarily very welcome uh, when someone comes in some uh, airy-fairy wellness improving ideas in the hospital care. They will say that, all right, my friend, this is a hospital. I am the uh, chief uh, uh, physician. This is my little kingdom. That's what happens. So when you say that, well, but how about changing the towels? How about doing this? How about uh, um, uh, talking about, uh, you know, you know in, invasive care, like uh, just talk about something like uh, 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 plastic surgery, because that can be invasive. Um, uh, first, I give you a 3D printed nose. Try it. Do you like it? If you like it, I can do it for real. Or I can create a 3D printed breasts. Do you like them? Don't you find them heavy? And I, I can do it for you. But this is not healthcare as such. It is service design. It is guest journey. And sometimes we do speak two different languages or we're coming from two different planets. And the good examples, don't, don't forget, that's why it's been uh, around for years that a French uh, clinic, it happened, uh, opened a wine bar for cancer patients. And it was a big thing. Everybody talked about it because, oh, God, a wine bar in a hospital. Are you mad? Not because they wanted to be drunk. It's just who says I am, oh, sorry, this is going to be a terrible example. I'm stage three cancer patient. What impact do you think a glass of wine will do? Tell me, and that in healthcare you can't do any such thing. But this is a different approach. We need to be able to uh, revisit all this, and we, we obviously I will be more than happy to have more examples from everywhere, literally. But it's a very hard task because of the silos, because of regulations, because of licensing, because of understanding that healthcare professionals don't necessarily have guest journeys on their curriculum. When they go and training, the CME points you can't get from guest journey design. Yes. Well, we need to start from somewhere. Yes, Lavo's spot on with this, and that's why in in our book we talk about value co-creation. That consumers in even in hospitals, even in high acuity healthcare situations, it's possible to co-create with the consumers a benefit, a value, and the attitude that Laszlo is referring to of most doctors, most hospitals, they know best and the consumer will take it or leave it. That is uh, an, an approach to service design and service delivery that simply is so yesterday and it will not succeed in creating value or in creating consumers who are loyal, and it won't help with consumer engagement. Con engaged consumers are clearly happier consumers, and their outcomes are better. And if you want to engage consumers, as Laszlo suggested, uh, you as the service provider need to be involved in value co-creation with them. And we talk about that in the book. 
minor pitch for the book. <laughs> if you enjoyed these podcasts, please subscribe and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening.